Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining Podcast. And today's guest is Marno Collette, who's the president of Ivanhoe Mines, a leading Canadian mining company committed to becoming a global leader in supply of critical resources required to transition our world to a low-carbon, renewable future. Um, And Ivanhoe are focused on developing and expanding its four principal mining and exploration projects in Southern Africa. Uh, Mona is a registered uh, chartered accountant and holds a master's degree in taxation from the University of Petrora. Um, she joined Ivanhoe back in 2006 and has been and has played an instrumental role as part of Ivanhoe's leadership team, achieving a number of strategic milestones and continues to go from strength to strength. Um, and she's on the podcast today to share her journey um, why Ivanhoe is leading uh, the way in supply of the much needed critical resources and so many more, so much more, some other questions obviously I want to ask her um, around obviously her career and what, what she's achieved. So thanks, welcome uh, Marnie to the podcast. How you doing Marna? Hi Rob, um, I'm doing well and thanks for inviting me to participate in your podcast. It's a great privilege. Yeah, and I appreciate your time. Obviously, we met at the uh, mining in Darba, um, and that's when you obviously agreed to agreed to come on the podcast. And uh, you would have listened to uh, one or two episodes. So, um, really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to come on and tell us a little bit about obviously of yourself. And obviously, I mentioned you've been with Ivanhoe since two thousand and six. So, you've obviously come on a, a huge journey. Um, so I just wanted you to just tell our audience a little bit about about yourself and about your uh, about your background. No problem, Rob. So sometimes I have to pinch myself if I think I've been with Ivanhoe for seventeen years, and we always joke that uh, we became an overnight success after twenty six years of hard work, um, specifically in developing Kamaoka Kula in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, I started off as Ivanhoe as a financial controller. Back then, we were planning to list uh, what was then a private company focused on exploration in Africa. So it wasn't called Ivano Mines back then. It was called Ivano Nickel and Platinum Limited. And um, we focused on exploration in Zambia, DRC, mainly the Copper Belt. Um, Robert always had an eye for where the trends would go. So we we were focused on ensuring that we would... um, be supplying the next great copper project when the world most will mostly need these critical metals. Um, so I started off as a financial controller um, and we were basically 10 people in the office. Um, today we have, um, I just got the statistics from Kamoa yesterday, we're probably over 18,000 people across the organization. And um, when you've been with a company, the amount of time I have been, you were basically part of building each and every building block. It's like putting together a piece of Lego. So most of the people that work here, I know in some way, shape or form. At some point, I knew everybody by name. Those days are no longer um, possible, but I I try and make an effort 
to get to know the people. So I started off as an accountant. I always joke, I'm a terrible accountant. Um, I'm probably more of a strategist, a little bit of a politician and a, a people's person, a team builder. And I know enough to know what I don't know. So I, I know to surround myself with the people with the right skill sets to, to make a successful team. Uh, we always say that when one succeeds, all succeeds. We've got a very great company culture, very inclusive. Uh, we work closely together. We don't work against each other. And we work for the greater good of Ivan O'Mine. So I think that's my strong suit, you know, bringing, bringing people together and making sure that we develop um, the projects that we are developing successfully. So maybe just a little bit about Ivan O'Mines, the Ivan O'Mines that we run here today. It's different from what most international people would know as Ivan O'Mines, which was the old Ivan O'Mines that uh, owned uh, OT that was taken over by Rio Tinto uh, in Mongolia. So we were just um, exploration focused in Africa. And we made the Kamau Kakula discovery, uh, first the Kamau discovery in 2008 in the DRC. And then in 2016, we've discovered Kakula. And um, we formed a joint venture partnership with Sejin from China. And we basically developed what will be the third or hopefully second largest copper mine in the world by the end of next year. Um, it's a fully integrated mining complex uh, together with a smelter. Um, and then uh, at the same time, we're developing Plattery in South Africa, which is a, a precious metals mine um, with uh, copper and nickel byproducts. Uh, it's basically, we say it's actually more of a nickel mine nowadays than it would be a PGM mine just because of the massive resource. Um, that mine will go into production um, in the third quarter of next year. And similarly, uh, Kapushi in the DRC, which is a zinc project, all brownfields project, that will also go into production in the third quarter of, of next year. So we're really quite busy. Um, and at the same time, you mentioned four projects. We, we're doing a lot of exploration um, throughout Africa, in DRC specifically, but we're entering a, f a few new frontiers. So we're quite excited about that. Yeah. It's interesting to hear that you said you started with 10 employees when you started, you had 10 employees and now you've got 18,000. That is, that is a huge number. And I suppose not many people will go through that transition from being a very small company to a very large company. How, obviously you, you've gone through that journey. What, I suppose, what were some of the highlights uh, during that course of, during that time uh, from having 10 to 18,000 people. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is to find people that fit with your ethos culturally. And we've always tried to keep our structures flat and not become too bureaucratic. I think if you have a majority shareholder or a, or a chairman like we do, you need to keep things quite entrepreneurial and nimble and quick decision-making. And that's what we've always tried to do. Even though we're in an organization of 18,000 plus people today, we keep our senior team relatively small and um, we're a very close-knit group of people. We, we work together like a small little family. You spend so many hours at work uh, that you really do need to like the people you work with. And I, I would say that's been one of our great success factors is that we really have a great senior team uh, leading this organization. And that's not 
speaking about myself, but the people that work alongside me are, are, are really all experts in their field. And I've been fortunate to have great people working with me. Um, one of the other learnings, and, and we've made mistakes along the way, I think it's also about uh, bringing in the right skill sets at the right time. Um, during this growth period, we you, there are times when, when you get jittery about growth, where you start to almost overdo it and you bring in too many people. And then what you have is people are clambering over each other to try and prove their worth in the organization. And you have people almost trying to outshine each other because they need to find a purpose in the organization. So I would say it's about the right timing, bringing the right people in at the right time. So growth is, growth is great, but it, it takes a lot of effort to keep your, your culture the same. And, and we are trying to have a little bit of that close-knit family culture, even though we're quite a large organization today. Yeah, and it looks like obviously you're doing, doing a great job with that anyway. So obviously I'd like to uh, congratulate you. Um, Ivan is is uh, specifically focused, obviously, on the uh, DRC and and South Africa uh, for their mining operations. Uh, regions and other companies may perceive as having those those areas as high risk. Um, just wondering if you can explain the strategic reasoning and factors that have been key to to your success in operating in those uh, locations and jurisdictions. Uh, so maybe just first touching on the jurisdiction, um, it's, Robert always has the saying where he's talking about a spaceship. If you were a marshal coming from space and you wanted to see where copper will be, it will be in Africa. So that's why we've always focused on Africa. And you have to take the courts that you are being dealt. And I think a lot of times people have a perception about these jurisdictions as being high risk Um more because of the unknown and it's because some it's 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 because they haven't spent enough time there than because it's really as risky as they perceive it to be. I myself personally spend a lot of time in the DRC itself. I probably travel there once a month for a week or so. And it's really about building relationships with key stakeholders, whether it be government, um, community leaders, um, uh, business people in the area where you operate. You need to build out your network and you need to start forming partnerships with people in these jurisdictions and also have open conversations with those governments. Um, during COVID, we were fortunate. Um, we could travel into DRC and back to South Africa. And we made a concerted effort of taking government officials through to our mind to show them what we are doing. Um, sometimes it's as simple as, as showing them the logistical challenges we are facing. And explaining to them that if 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 you change certain things in terms of border control, for example, operating hours at, at the border, it will have this impact on our business. And since you are a shareholder in our business, this is the impact it will have on you. And, you know, when somebody explains something to you in a boardroom, it's one thing. When somebody shows something to you, it's it clicks. And um, I think a lot of time it's it's at times it's just about taking the time and and building those relationships, making the effort to take people through what we are doing. Um, I think the future of these critical metals are in Africa. That's why you see all the world leaders visiting Africa, uh, taking the African continent serious, um, and everybody's trying to, to secure supply. Um, so this is the place to be, and this is the place where we need to learn to operate. 
Um, the role of minerals and metals in the global energy transition uh, and reliability of supply. Um, obviously, you've just, you've just highlighted some of that. What are some of the initiatives Ivanhoe is undertaking to contribute to this uh, transition? So I gave you a little bit of a hint in my intro, but we are um, at heart, we're explorers. So uh, we, we, we were... Sometimes uh, there's a saying by Gary Player, the, the great South African golfer, the more the pra you practice, the luckier you get. So we, we do firmly believe that the more we practice, the luckier we got. And um, we, we still believe that the biggest value we can add to our shareholders is by discovering similar, similar type of bodies like the Kamau Kakula uh, project that we've, that we've discovered and developed. So Ivan Mines is uniquely placed in our understanding of the geology in this area to try and find more of these ore bodies that we will need for the energy transition. Um, but we are also venturing out and entering a few new jurisdictions. I, I'm not at liberty to talk about uh, most of those jurisdictions at this point in time, but it's, it's within our comfort zone. And um, we are quite excited about uh, what that could mean for the company as we move forward. Yeah. I wonder if you just tell us a little bit about the renewable energy use at your at your mines. Um, and obviously, you've, you recently uh, have a partnership with SN, SNEL um, and EV use at your operations. So I just wonder if you just tell us a little bit more more around yeah. uh, the, the renewable energy that you're using at your sites. Sure. So so in the DRC, water is in abundance, but power is unfortunately not. And uh, SNAL is the state-owned power entity. They own a lot of the old infrastructure in the country and everything's driven by hydropower. So when we decided that we were going to develop Kamaokakula, obviously one of the key things you take into consideration is water and power. Water's no issue, but power's always been an issue in terms of development in the DRC. Uh, what our team then did was we went out and looked at um, all dilapidated um, state-owned infrastructure and we entered into negotiations with the government to try and see if we can maybe refurbish some of those old hydropower plants and uh, thereby um, adding megawatts into the grid. So this is not only for consumption by ourselves at the Mokakula, but um, by adding additional power into the grid, we also add to the social use of the country and the upliftment of the country. Ultimately, these assets are still owned by government. So we do it in a public-private partnership and we, we get repaid on providing the financing for these projects through a discount in our electricity tariff until the loan financing that we advance to government is repaid. So we need to find these sort of innovative type of structuring solutions in the jurisdictions where we operate to ensure that we build up the infrastructure in these countries and to enable us to run these mega projects in um, wanton countries. You know, the DRC have, a, have, have quite a, a, a sad history in that regard. And I think it's our collective responsibility to ensure that we build up some of the, some of the infrastructure that may have fallen into disrepair. Yeah. And is there, have you got any other schemes in terms of infrastructure that you're working closely with? So with the government? We, we, so we, um, uh, we, obviously we're working on a, a, a border at Kapushi. So um, 
There's one border crossing that everybody on the Copper Belt is currently using, which is Kasim Balesa. Um, so we're currently negotiating with government to do another border crossing uh, right next to the Kapushi mine, but we will also use it for Kamau Kapula. So uh, we've signed an MOU with government for that border crossing. Um, and that will also include uh, road repairs, both on the DRC side as well as on the Zambian side. So it's a cross-governmental initiative and it will be financed on a on a similar basis. Um, so that those negotiations are currently ongoing and it's part of my regular visits to the DRC, having these discussions around uh, the border crossing. Maybe just speaking a little bit on... Um, sort of other initiatives we are following in terms of our uh, energy energy efficiency at our sites. We've um, piloted uh, electric fleet at our Platriff project. Um, and we did find that we had issues on efficiencies. So we are working closely with EPIROC in a strategic collaboration to see that we can develop these machines in order to get close to the diesel efficiencies. Obviously, ultimately, we want to have electric fleet and use it underground. Um, and it's up to operators like ourselves to work with OEMs to get the equipment ready so that we can tr transition away from diesel and over to electric fleet. There's, it's obviously imp important for partnerships and creating value as, as you've highlighted. Um, why is social, alliance, uh, social license to operate so important for your business and other businesses? Um, in success and delivering on the necessary outcomes needed for uh, this green transition? So I think this is one of the topics that's very close to my heart. Um, and I find that when I speak to international audiences, if, if you look at the West, there's a big focus on climate change, uh, rightly so. And, you know, environmental gets a lot of attention. But when you operate in Africa, you need to have a very big social focus. Um, there's a lot of poverty still throughout Africa and mining companies um, make such a big impact in the areas where we operate. Um, the first time I visited Kamau Kagula, there was like one little tent, one drawery drilling. You couldn't even go to the toilet. There was a bucket. Um, today, you know, we have over 5,000 people sleeping at the camp. Um, it's It's massive. We have highways. And if you think about the development we've brought about, and that's really only happened over the past five years. Before that, it was really an exploration program. Um, but since the onset, we, we took the view that we're gonna invest in our communities and make sure we take our communities along with us on this journey. Um, we've started small livelihood projects initially, and now we've grown those projects into viable businesses. The mine buys a lot of the, the produce from these livelihood farmers. These livelihood farmers have expanded their businesses. They've employed people, but we don't only do it with farming. We've started different businesses. We've got a brick making factory where we've employed a co-op out of the community. We help them with um, business skills, how to do their own books, how to submit their own tax returns. We purchase bricks from them. If we can't purchase all the bricks, they sell the bricks in Kowesi. So we've created like a, a, a enterprise scheme around the mine with our community members. We also recruit from our adjacent communities. And that way, um, when, you, when you take up your space in people's backyard, because that's what we do as mining companies, 
the people come along because you're part of their livelihood and you're changing lives. If I take one person we employ today at the mine, one one employed individual look after almost 20 to 30 people. So it has a massive economic impact on people. Um, I, I had an interview the other day and I mentioned to the two gentlemen on the other side of the call, you know, we are fortunate because we used to live in developed countries. We used to have our iPad and our, our PC next to us. We used to switching on the lights. We used to have running water. When you operate where we operate, people don't have that. And you can't expect people to just want that for the rest of their lives. You have to take them along. You have to um, upgrade the standard of living. But I think we should also learn from um, the Europe's, the US's, the China's in terms of how to develop responsibly, how to manage uh, greenhouse gas emissions. How are we going to do that upliftment throughout Africa? And um, that's a collective responsibility. That's not just a mining company responsibility, but that's something that the mining industry gives you the opportunity to be a part of. And, and that's what really excites me about the industry is the impact you have on people's lives. Certainly. And that, that's, again, that's like really good to hear. And as, as you mentioned, one person um, can in, in, impact 40 to 50 people um, within your obviously operations. So, no, that's, that's, like I said, re that's really good to hear. Um, Ivanhoe's BBBEE partnership at uh, Plant Riff was unique at the time um, of its, it, within its conception and continues to be a model for local partnership around mineral projects. Um, could you outline the design of the community trust and how this, was, how this concept came to fruition? Yeah, so this really speaks to ownership in mining companies. And, you know, it's different throughout Africa. Some states own directly into projects, like in the DRC, uh, Kamau Kakula is owned 20% by the DRC state directly. And in South Africa, we have what we call a broad-based black economic empowerment structure. Um, and that's something that um, uh, really had a bit of a bad reputation over the years. Um, you had one or two individuals in South Africa that became extremely rich out of um, black economic um, ownership in mining companies. And I think at the time when we did our transaction, um, it was sort of, uh, it, it was a difficult transaction to do because we were still an exploration company. It's very difficult to raise funding for partners to purchase into exploration companies. And we decided we are going to do a broad-based um, uh, ownership structure. So what we did was we created a trust for our adjacent communities. If you're familiar with our Blood Reef project, it's right in the middle of 20 communities, about 150,000 people. So it's really a social project. The engineering is the easy part. It's about how you live next door to each other because you become neighbors. And if they're owners in the project, then you align your interests because if you're successful, they will be successful. So we created this trust. Um, we pay dividends. We, we basically manufacture dividends for now. And ultimately, when the mine goes into operation, this trust will receive div dividends. And this trust can apply those dividends to public benefit organization activities. So they get tax breaks for it and they can support educational initiatives, um, 
sort of any any initiatives that uplifts uh, the standard of living for the adjacent communities. What we also did was um, there's a requirement to have an entrepreneurial ownership component in South Africa is uh, we took all the small little businesses that were on our database at the time that did some um, business with the mines, so catering services, cleaning services, and we gave them ownership in the mine as well. And um, that way your your vendors are also owners and, and you align interest. So it's all about um, shared value and, and aligned interest. And subsequent to our transaction, the mining code in South Africa actually changed to basically follow this model, albeit in different uh, percentages. So we're quite proud of being trendsetters in terms of our black economic uh, empowerment transaction. Yeah. Um, and what strategies and tools have been most successful in maintaining good relationships, uh, relationships with the communities? Obviously, you've highlighted one there. Is, is there any yeah. other strategies on uh, or tools that you that you use? I think the biggest thing is communication. Um, you know, people look at mining companies and you think it's only the technical skills. You need your mining engineers. You need your um, metallurgists. Um, it's, uh, Today's mining companies are almost like half technical staff, half um, soft skill staff, and people who can communicate well, who can convey the story, who can, who can convey what a mining company is busy with. And it's also about managing expectations. Our, our project in South Africa will be a highly mechanized mine, so it's different to what you see on the Western Limb in South Africa. And we've been open and transparent with our communities from the onset. We will not be... Uh, employing um, really more than 2,000 people. So you need to, from the onset, be honest and open with your community. Say, you know, there's only going to be 2,000 jobs, but that's why we're doing enterprise development. That's why we're helping you identify opportunities away from the mine that will allow you to sustain a business. That's why we provide training in entrepreneurship, for example. So um, it's it's about having those conversations. It's about understanding what the needs are of your communities and us as, as senior executives cannot live on a plane somewhere and just go from conference to conference and talk about what we're doing we need to walk to talk um, community members want to see senior executives they want to engage with us we need to be on the ground and we need to deal with some of the hard thorny issues ourselves and I think um, they respect uh, us taking it serious because they are one of our most important uh, shareholders. As a female in, the exec in an executive position um, in a progressive and innovative company like Ivanhoe, what challenges have you had to sort of overcome during, the, during your career, and especially in the mining industry, um, that has got, to, got, to, uh, got you to where it has today? So, Rob, it's this is always such a difficult question because you um, you never want to see yourself as a in in today's world. Back then, when I started my career in mining, female quotas wasn't even a thing, to be honest with you. So I never felt like I had a glass ceiling or I didn't have access. I've I've always worked in this progressive entity, and Robert's always been super supportive of mentoring me and getting me ready for a leadership role in this organization. But not everybody's as fortunate as I am. And um, 
you know, the the big thing about talking about um, female representation in mining is that you you don't want to set uh, that expectation that it's about filling quotas or ticking proxy advisor boxes. You want the best person for the for the job, and I think that's been my attitude from the onset. I will be the best person for the job, and when the guys work till eleven, I will work till twelve. And it's really been through hard work and planning. You know, I really wanted a family too on a on a personal level. Um, and I remember um, back then, my oldest kid will turn sixteen this year. Uh, we South Africa's um, maternity policies weren't as progressive as maternity policies are now. So you you get, I think, four weeks worth of salary. And then the other three months, you get four months maternity. The other three months, you can claim from the um, uh, Workmen's Compensation Fund. And I just couldn't afford to go on maternity leave because I was the, the sole breadwinner, uh, basically, at the time. So what I did was I went and negotiated. I said, listen, I'm willing to work. But I would really like to experience having a kid staying at home. Can I work from home um, and then submit timesheets but get my pay? And luckily, you know, back then, times have changed. But back then, um, uh, our CEO was willing to accommodate the request and I managed to earn my full salary. But I put in the hard yards because I knew I wanted to be successful in my career one day. So I think it was really for me about not really expecting special treatment and going toe to toe with everybody else. Um, today, the workplace is much more progressive. You can work remotely much more easily. We didn't have things like Teams and Zoom back then. It's it's really been a trend that, so I think it's, it's become easier for females um, over the years to really participate in the industry. And then it's also been about realizing what the mining industry is about you know it's not just about the miners and it's not just about the metallurgists and the technical degrees um there's a lot of strategy that goes into what we do a lot of social planning that goes into what we do and um females are good communicators we we tend to take people along and it's using our strengths to achieve a common goal so uh, i would I would say it's, it's probably a combination of that. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and you're right there. Um, in terms of looking at your competition, for instance, if you are in an organisation and you are probably dominated by males uh, and you're all seeking the same same one position higher, it's looking at your competition and, and making sure your differential is better than theirs. Um, so, yeah, oh. I, I totally agree with that. Um, and you're, look, you're looking at building upon your own strengths, looking at the market, but building upon your own strengths and having that determination that you are going to be where you want to be and where you want yeah, to head you to. Need, yeah, you need to be hungry. You need to want to go for it. And you need to be a little bit thick-skinned sometimes. You know, it is a tough industry. Um, or It is a male-dominated industry. I've always been... I've seen myself as one of the boys, you know, I can hold my own in the bar, I can hold my own in the boardroom. Um, and it's been, I think that attitudes assisted me in terms of where I got to. Um, I never really felt like I needed special treatment. And, uh, you know, there are certain gender differentials like having a family where I had to go and set things up for myself. You know, I had to make sure that I get help at home, 
I'm fortunate. My parents um, stay close to me. Um, I've got a very supportive husband that helps out with the kids. I've got three children, three, three boys. Um, so I've been fortunate in terms of the infrastructure I have around me to do what I do. But that was a it it was a choice um, to to put in place these things. And um, I, I do try and spend the quality time I can with my children. Um, but you, something's got to give. You can't have it all. So so you have to decide. You're either going to be that full time hands on mom. Or you're going to be a professional and spend quality time with your children when you get when you get the gap. And I always try and be home over weekends. Um, they're anyway so busy during a, a school week that um, you never see them anyway. You end up sitting by by yourself. Even though, I always have these good intentions. Now it's a quiet week. I'll go home early, spend time with the kids. Then they're not home. So um, I, I try and make most of the weekends. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Um, what advice can you give to women in the mining industry uh, that want that want to sort of follow in a, a similar path as yourself, um, but they may have doubts, uh, they may have had setbacks in the past, or face certain individual challenges um, because they are in a male-dominated industry? Um, what advice would you give them in order for them to achieve gr- uh, more greatness and maybe? work their way up uh, the, the career ladder as you have done? I think it's, I think it's a bit of a psychological thing. You, you need to tell yourself you can do it. Um, I think there's a lot of women and uh, we can, uh, I'm speaking about myself. Um, you know, you, females always look at themselves. You always think you're not pretty enough. You're not, you're not clever enough. You're a little bit overweight. You could look better. You could do this. You could do that better. Where I find with guys, they're much more self-confident than women usually are. So I think it's about that confidence. You need to you need to believe in yourself and you need to exert that. If you exert confidence, people will have confidence in you. How can you expect of somebody else to believe in you if you can't even believe in yourself? So I think that's the first thing. It's like um, look yourself in the mirror and tell yourself you've got this. Because you do. There's, there's no reason why you should stand back in in any scenario if you've got if you've got the the education so say you go toe to toe in a situation where both of you have the same education there's no reason why the female should be viewed as inferior and it's it's, sometimes it's a confidence thing so I think it's a confidence thing it's also a little bit of a we live in a very woke world where you need to be very um, sensitive about what you say and what you do and how you handle situations I try and not take myself too serious. Sometimes I'm going to get it wrong. You make mistakes. Sometimes I say silly things in front of technical people. And then I laugh at myself because you need to be able to laugh at yourself because you're going to make mistakes and they're going to make mistakes too. And they're going to sound stupid sometimes too. So you need to you need to take it with a pinch of salt. And then I think you need to turn up and plan. You know, if you want to be a senior executive, you need to know it's going to be a a hard path to get there and you need to gonna make a few sacrifices. Um and then similarly if if you're just trying to make ends meet and get by, try and make your life easier by getting in place help where you need help if you need help on the home front. Get the necessary help on the home front and then plan accordingly and see how you can map your career to get to where you want to be. Not everybody's gonna end up being the CEO. 
but you can be the best version of yourself. And I think sometimes it's just uh, a, as simple as confidence. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, you've obviously been with Ivanhoe, as we mentioned, 17 years. What would you say has been the most satisfying part of your journey? And what what value have you got from those 17 years working at Ivanhoe? You've obviously seen many changes in in yourself and as well as the company. What, what, what would you say has given you the most satisfaction, both personally and both within the, within the organization? I'm, I'm extremely proud of what we've achieved at um, the Maokaku Life. I, take, I mentioned when I was there the first time, a little tent. Uh, we're busy building a massive smelter. If you go to site now, it's a hive of activity. It's construction. It's more than 16,000 people on site beavering away, building this world-class project. And to think that I played a part in that, in from discovery through to where we are today, putting together a fully integrated mine in what's considered a difficult jurisdiction like the DRC. And um, I wouldn't say that I had any special education from like a world-class um, university abroad. I'm a, I'm a normal girl from a sort of middle-class neighborhood in the middle of South Africa. And I was part of that journey. Um, and I think working for a company like Ivana Mines, where it's quite entrepreneurial, we've grown over time, obviously we've matured, we've come a bit, become a bit more serious of late because you have to be serious when you, when you, when you are a, a big operator like we are. Um, but, it's, but it's been that journey from becoming a, being a small little innovative explorer, going through that growth spurt, the capital raisings we did, the cultural immersion. Uh, we've got Chinese partners, we've got Japanese partners, we have African government partners, we have African community partners, and it's being able to bridge that gap. You need to you need to be so many people in one person. You need to be able to speak competently in the boardroom. You need to be able to speak competently to communities, and I think that's been the most fulfilling part. Is it's just dealing with all these stakeholders and taking them along on this journey and doing it so successfully. I think we were actually quite surprised with our own success. I still remember when we tried to raise funds for Kamaukakula's development, a lot of a lot of the guys who would do a due diligence on us would say, well, you don't really have a track record as an operator, you're explorers, so we're not sure. And I get a call, Ian Cockrell is on the board of BHP. Um, he used to be on our board and he, he called me, he said, man, I'm so surprised as to what you achieved here. You guys have done such a magnificent job. And it's been with a team that we've built from scratch. Uh, we built that mine on time, on budget, during a pandemic. Um, it's been a, a wonderful achievement. I, th I think if I retire today, I retire with a smile on my face. No, good to hear. Um, and I've got to ask, obviously, what's it like working closely with, with Robert Friedland? Um, what do you sort of learn from him and what, what aspiration do you get from obviously working with him pretty closely all over these these last 17 years that you've been with Ivanhoe? Okay, so I'm going to start with a little secret, Rob. When I started at Ivanhoe, I didn't know who Robert was. I obviously learned quite quickly who Robert is. Um, 
it's uh, it's it's one of those those dual answered questions. He's he's an absolute visionary, um, and you meet very few people in your life that's got that type of brilliance and the way his mind works. And it's been an absolute privilege to sit under his wing. He's been a great mentor to me. Him together with our previous CEO, Lars Eric, I've I've learned everything I know from the two of them. Um, the great thing about Robert is he always pushes you to do better to do more and he trusts you completely. Like he um he empowers you. He empowers you to make decisions. Um he can be a tough guy to work for too. So it's not it's not just seeing the the visionary and the and the leader, but it's also he pushes you. He pushes you to be a better version of yourself. And um sometimes when he calls you think, oh that was a brutal call. I'm really trying my best. But when you reflect most of the times, so I'm not going to say always because he may listen to this podcast and then he thinks he's always right. But most of the times, Robert is right. Um, and the great thing about him is he, he always knows, he's got a nose. He always knows where we can add more value. He always has a good idea and he always knows where to go next. You know, it's 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 somebody you can really learn from, you can look up to. Um, he's, he's a real titan of the industry. Tough guy to work for, but um, it's been very rewarding uh, working with him. Yeah, just and, and you mentioned ideas. Is there ideas that he's got at the moment that I suppose you can speak about that you probably think is probably a bit way out there, um, but you know eventually you you can move <laughs> down to you, those those ideas yeah. come to, could come to fruition. So, so Robert is quite infused. He's got a company in um, in France uh, called iPulse, and um, they're doing a lot of work on on technologies that may improve the way we mine in terms of energy efficiency. So he's he's very infused about that. Uh, we are collaborating in terms of being a practical implementation partner on some of it. Um, so that's the one idea where I would like to see the results of it and see where that goes. And and he's he's really excited about it. And then um, you know, just in terms of basic efficiencies, operational efficiencies, this uh, you know, he would fly in from a thousand miles. He wouldn't be in the detail, but he would ask one question, and you would think, why didn't I think of that? And that's the thing that makes him so great. He zooms in, he just pushes the right button, and he gets all of us to focus. And um, that's the one thing I'm going to take away from Robert is I'm going to try and be that person that that can sit a thousand miles away and just zoom in and say, why aren't we thinking about this? And sometimes it's 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 right in front of everybody. Um, But he just he just connects the dots a a little bit differently than we do. So um, that's the that's that's Robert. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and lastly, what, what's the vision and outlook for Ivanhoe over the sort of next three, medium to the next three to five years? Yeah, so obviously we're trying to get all our projects into production. So that will be the case next year, bringing both Kapushi and Platriff online. And then we're growing Kamau Kapula. Um, uh, that uh, phase three will go online at the end of next year. So basically beginning of 2025. And then um, we want to see ourselves as a diversified global player um, and basically in the critical metal space. Um, and we, we've we been beavering away. We've, we're seeing some successes, not ready to talk about it yet. 
in terms of bringing online more exploration success. Um, and, you know, we're not opposed to M&A if it makes sense and it's value accretive to our shareholders. Uh, but I think we see ourselves as a modern, innovative, um, progressive mining company um, that wants to grow our footprint. And uh, we want to be trendsetters um, and we want to mine with a greater purpose. Yeah, and you're certainly doing all of that, or have done all of that uh, in your time there uh, as the company has grown. So, Marla, really appreciate your time in uh, taking the time to have a chat with us. Really fascinating to hear your uh, your journey and and your uh, advice and wisdom as well. So really appreciate your time. If our audience wants to obviously follow follow the story of Ivanhoe, um, I take it obviously they can go to the website. Do you have a, a social media presence uh, and what platforms would they be on? Yes, we are on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn. Uh, Robert's got his own personal Twitter account where he retweets our tweets as well. So you can follow Robert in his personal capacity on Twitter. And then obviously you can go to our website and find all the links there. Yeah, great. We do a lot of great... We do a lot of great videos on social media. So for people that's not as familiar with mining projects that want to go and look uh, to see how, how the construction of a mining project takes place, we've done time lapses. Great. Uh, we'll include some of those in our show notes accompanying this as well, those those uh, social media links so uh, for easy access. Um, really appreciate your time. Um, and maybe you may want to come on in, in a year's time and give us an update on on how Ivanhoe has moved forward with some of these projects. Um, be really great to, to hear, hear you again. Thanks, Rob, and thanks for having, having me and listening to the Ivanhoe Mind story. No, thank you as well. And those that are listening, um, hope you enjoyed that. So much to take away from this particular episode. Um, and what a great story from working in a company with 10 employees to 18,000 just shows you what you can achieve if you put your mind put your mind to it and and have a vision um, as Ivanhoe have so really appreciate your continued support please keep sharing this uh, this well, this particular episode and all our episodes um, to others within the mining industry but also people outside of the mining industry because especially this podcast this episode, showing people outside of the mining industry what's capable and what what a mining company can do for local communities no matter where you are in the world i think is important and it's and we always talk about mining uh and the, the image and the brand of mining um needs to be improved well if more people hear stories of what ivanhoe have done then it's only going to help our call so appreciate your continued support and until next time Happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.